Hey, I'm Gretchen Bridgers of the Always a Lessons Empowering Educators podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Boone Titanium Rings found on the web at boonrings.com is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Caitlin Trujillo. Caitlin is a key account manager in the U.S. for Impero Software. Join us as we talk about supporting ELL students, special education students, and teachers. What an awesome talk. So much to learn today. Thanks for listening. And oh, but by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool. If you would go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and rate and review the podcast. Could you do that for me? Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com sponsors, find the NVTA logo, and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. Hey, Steve here, and my podcast, Teaching Learning Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use. My Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. You are listening to Teaching Learning Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Caitlin Trujillo is a key account manager in the U.S. for Impero Software. Before beginning her career in ed tech, Trujillo taught for 10 years in schools in California and Portland. She has taught high school English, ESL, and reading intervention, and also has experience teaching trauma-informed practices. She holds a master's degree in education and a TESOL certification and sees technology as playing a key role in providing equitable instruction to a variety of learners. Caitlin, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hi, thank you so much. Uh, excited to be here and talk with you. I love that introduction. It's like, oh yeah, nice like walk down memory lane and all the exciting things I've gotten to do as an educator and excited to share some more today. Very cool, because I'm going to ask you to go down that memory lane here a little bit, <laughs> yeah. right? Especially right here in the beginning. So I appreciate it. So, so before we go any further, Caitlin, uh, you were a teacher for ten years. What do you like most about teaching and working with kids? You know, I I love this question. I, it's hard to just quantify it into just a couple sentences, but I think everyone gets into teaching because they want to see students go through that learning process, and everyone talks about that light bulb moment. You know, moment that you see your students have, and um, I really did enjoy that as an educator, taking students at the beginning of the year, didn't know something, and then seeing them be able to do that something, you know, by the end of the quarter, the end of the year, or whatever your you know, lesson cycle and your goals were. So seeing students learn and, and feeling like you got to play an important role in that, so satisfying. And then, I mean, I think I got into teaching originally for the, the belief that I had and still do that, you know, 
an educated society is a society I want to be part of. <laughs> and so getting to, you know, be part of this process of you know, educating individuals who will then go on to make a difference in the world and to get to be one small little part of their path towards something great. Um, you get a lot of uh, joy and satisfaction out of that too. And, you know, in line with that, getting to hear back from my students now who are off doing amazing things in, in different fields of science and research and, there's even one of my former students who's now a teacher in the district where I used to teach, which makes me feel very old, <laughs> who, uh, you know, reached out to me recently, said, I'm a teacher now too. And I, you know, she remembers my own, my classroom and her experiences there. And so it's just really cool to be a little piece of all of these different people's journeys. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's, it's, you can't, yeah. you can't explain it to somebody because having, because you spend enough time where you got plenty of them that, you know, they'll start finding you or running into you or whatever. And I got to tell you what, what I've discovered is you can move wherever you want to. You're going to find at some point in time, you're going to be someplace where just out of the blue, someone's going to go and they're going to say your name and it's going to be like, okay. And you turn around and it's like, and usually it happens like in really strange places. Like, uh, you know, you're standing in a queue line at some, uh, theme park or you're, uh, you know, whatever. And it's, it's the coolest thing or, Something that just happened to me recently. My son called me and said, "Hey, I was at this uh, uh, this this conference and I was purchasing something." And the gentleman saw my name and he said, "There can't be two of them in the world." And he, he asked me if he if I if you were my dad. And I went, "Oh my gosh!" And he told me who he was. And I'm like, "Geez!" I taught him yeah. eighth, ninth, and tenth grade. And I'm like, <laughs> that, "That's a long time ago." Very cool. So yeah, I actually come from a family of educators. My mom. Uh, as a retired teacher, both my brother and sister are teachers and now have moved into district level positions. And so I think we've all experienced that. And I experienced it growing up with my mom running into all her former students who were, you know, you know, in college and beyond when she taught them in elementary school. So yeah, I definitely grew up around that as well. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. It's, it's just a neat thing. And to know you, it's, you had some impact in there, which is what's so cool. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Love that. So I got to ask you, if you could go back in time just before you stepped in the classroom for the first time, all right, what advice would you give you as a brand new teacher? Oh, man. Uh, to me personally, as a brand new teacher, I would say just relax. <laughs> just like relax a little. I was very, my first couple years teaching us, it was so stressful. I wanted it to be so perfect all the time. And, and later when you, when you taught a little uh, a little bit longer, you're a little further into your career, you find that it's those imperfect moments that turn into true, authentic learning experiences for the students. So if you're trying to micromanage and plan and execute this, oh, this is how I planned it. And this is exactly how it must go. You're probably missing some cool opportunity. Um, so yeah, definitely think about starting your year as a first year teacher. It's about building relationships with the students you're starting at a new school or a new district or in a new community that you are not part of, especially you need to learn what does this community value because that's going to help you tap into the student population. That's going to help you understand what they value in their homes and that what's well, going to feel relevant to them at school. So starting with building those relationships and not planning every lesson down to the minute, but you know, thinking about your lesson objectives and how you're going to guide your students on this you know, learning journey to get them there instead of uh, being too uptight about everything being perfect. <laughs> it's definitely the advice I'd give myself. <laughs> That's awesome advice. I love it. That's good yeah. stuff because it really is. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'll never forget my first day in, in, in the classroom because I was all set. I had all kinds of stuff ready to go. And now this dates me. So just bear with me. <laughs> um, I had a film clip, but in those days you had to have the film projector with the big reel on it. And I'm just showing this little section of this film and I had that all set to go and I had an overhead projector with this uh, map on it. So I could show this area and then I had an a wall map and uh, wouldn't you know it, just what happened was I didn't realize how old that film was. It broke twice. Um, and then, you know, the nice thing is in those days, you know, not today, you don't have to deal with stuff like that, right? <laughs> You're showing a clip or something like that. You don't, well, what do I do now? Well, you've just kind of, pull it out and you stick it back in the thing and see if you can pick up from where it broke. And, yeah. 
Um, and then, uh, yeah, there's a couple of things that happened. I, the mat fell off the wall and a kid tripped over the cord for the overhead projector and broke the bulb. <laughs> I will never forget that an day. episode of something on TV, like a comedy it, series. It really was. I'll never forget it. And that in <laughs> itself is probably what helped me chill out because I was like, yeah. okay, so th- that was plan A, B, and C. So now we, yeah. we shift to D. And the awesome thing was, was the next door neighbor heard the crash and he came over and he said, don't worry, I got you on this. And he went, he brought me his overhead projector and he put the map back on the board. And he said, you just go on with your introduction and do all that stuff. And I was like, and it was pretty cool. So I love that advice. So I bet, I bet too, that like uh, young teachers who are entering the profession today are probably just as resilient or even more resilient than we were with our hardware failures because they're probably quite used to software failures. Like yes, said, yes. Oh, teachers don't have to deal with that today. It's like, oh, we've all been there where that video won't load or you thought it was going to go through your school's filter and it didn't. And you're sitting there like, I can't show this video I was going to show. What am I going to do? And so, you know, I think uh, as much as technology makes our lives easier, you know, that that resiliency and well, that didn't work. So let's try something else. You know, I think that hasn't changed at all. Not at all. Not at all. Because that's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's what you made me think of is, you know, it used to say buffering. You know, it's like, no, not buffering. And, you know, today it's just, you know, you're going to see swirls, <laughs> things like yeah. that. It's like, nice. Yes. Yeah, so, gotta love it. Streaming, streaming problems are always the killer <laughs> today. Mm-hmm. So good stuff. I, you know, it's, um, I love, love the advice that you give yourself. Cause I always think about this. If I, you know, if I could go back in time and talk to myself and I, and I've what I would tell me. And so it's neat to hear what other people tell themselves. So I think that's cool. I, so tell me why you decided to go into technology. I mean, can you tell us a bit about your role now at Impero helping other teachers incorporate technology into the classroom? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I just kind of found myself out of position. I, every teacher's probably been in this uh, down this path as a, as a public educator, I was on a temporary contract and my temporary contract expired. And I found myself needing to go back out there and apply for jobs again. And, uh, at the time I started just putting myself out there for positions beyond the classroom. It was a tough time in the economy. I didn't know for sure if I would land back in the classroom in terms of the job goes. And, uh, it's a competitive environment in the Portland area to get, I was an English teacher. It's not like a really high need for us. Have a lot of English teachers out there in the world. <laughs> and so uh, I, you know, I made my move into the technology space by applying for a company whose technology I used in the classroom. And that was a really easy switch for me because as a teacher, you put your full energy, your reputation, your, your full like worth into every lesson, you know, you get behind it and you have to kind of have some pride in your work and, and feel good standing behind it. So I remember in my interview for, uh, I originally worked for a company called Medoff, which is now under the Impero umbrella. And I said, well, you know, you don't, you don't have any experience in this public, you know, private sector. You have all this public education experience. How does this relate to, you know, interacting with customers? And I said, well, I'm not trying to sell garage doors here. You know, I, <laughs> I'm trying to work with people I've been working with just in a new way. And so I immediately started working with schools and incorporating a particular tool around classroom management, which we still provide today. And that helps teachers to feel more confident with using devices in the classroom. And, um, you know, a lot of our customers say, oh, I, I was scared to do this particular activity. And this is always like my favorite thing that I tell teachers in the training. One of our features of our software lets you kind of pause the devices for all students. And when I was in the classroom, I remember having like a lot of uh, goals for having you know, these very uh, ambitious projects that I would set up on uh, online learning. And like we just talked about a moment ago, something's bound to go wrong, right? right? right. Something <laughs> fails, something doesn't work how you expected. And so you you feel the anxiety go up in the room, you know, and, and your anxiety is going up and all the students' anxiety is going up. And you thought, I took this huge risk and it's not going how I thought it would. And so, you know, for an example, the software lets you just hit that pause button. No one's devices work. Hey, all the devices are paused. Let's come back together as a class. Eyes on me. Let's talk this through. Let's get this, you know, let's change gears. Let's move on to step two. Step one just blew up in my face, but that's okay because I've got this pause button and uh, we're just going to wipe that away. So, uh, yeah, I think any tool that you can bring into the classroom that makes teachers feel empowered to take risk because they know that they can get it all back if they need it. You know, if things start going a little crazy, they can bring everyone back together. I think that's a good thing. So 
that's what I do now is kind of help teachers and incorporate our tools in their classroom, which hopefully in effect, get them to incorporate a lot of technology into their classroom. Very cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, and I think we'll probably come back and get a little bit, uh, I mean, a little more specific about some of the, the tools that Impero does have. Um, Let's kind of shift gears for just a minute and let's talk about, uh, I mean, you have a lot of experience with teaching ELL kids. Um, tell us a little bit of, more about your work in ESL instruction. I mean, let's, let's kind of get into some strategies to keep in mind to help support ELL students. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, I've, I've been asked this question before in different you know, situations as like a mentor teacher and um, during my master's degree program, we talked about this a lot. And I always go back in my mind to uh, one of my undergraduate education classes. And they said, you know, what does good ESL or ELL teaching look like? And it's good teaching, <laughs> period. You know, there's no bag of tricks. There's no things where I say, if you do these three things, then you can reach your English language learners. It's like, no, it's it's just good teaching. And it's taking your students for who they are. It's taking into account the kids you have in front of you and it's teaching them at their level in a way that's accessible to them. And that does not just apply to our ESL population. That applies to any teacher in front of any class across the United States. Um, you know, working at the secondary level, I've worked with both long-term English language learners where, you know, they've been in the United States and in the public education system since kindergarten, but they're still not, you know, reclassified as English language, you know, fluent and, uh, as well as students who are brand new to the country. And I think those are slightly different populations to work with. The strategies maybe look a little different. Whereas, you know, with the, with the latter, I'm, I'm talking more about pronunciation and, and uh, really like getting into like new vocabulary and new language. And something that I always did that I think is easy for anyone with an EL population to integrate is to think about cross-content collaboration. You know, at the secondary level, we think about our ESL students in their EL classes are covering the, you know, English language arts curriculum in terms of what, what the content is we're trying to cover. But my job is to make sure that they are able to access language and learning across their school day. So thinking about how we can incorporate new vocabulary into our classes, because it's something that's going to be important for them to understand their social sciences, their science, their math, reading, you know, we're reading a short story on uh, the symbolism related to the related to a bird or like the migration of a bird. There's this really sad short story I used to teach about a bird. And uh, so then maybe we take a, you know, we take a little veer to the left and we read a, a nonfiction text about migration patterns and we're picking up on new skills and new types of reading skills related to reading nonfiction text and then bringing that back into our fictionalized text. So, you know, my classroom would be loud. My classroom would be busy. My classroom would have students talking and listening and, you know, engaging in different learning modalities. And I think that's really important too. I think there's been a a fear that when we talk about differentiating instruction, whether it's to our English language learners, our special education students, as students are returning to the classroom after this time distance learning, that that means everyone's quietly and individually working on their devices. And I think we have to let go of that fear because I don't think that's what good differentiation looks like. You know, it looks like choice in the classroom and choice in the classroom doesn't mean that everyone is quietly and individually working. Right. Um, But to circle back to your question about specifically our English language learners, um, there's a few like really simple things that we can do that technology enables us to do. So uh, I have a longer, more difficult piece of text that I'm having my students read through. Technology allows me to hyperlink that text. You know, why aren't we using hyperlinks throughout this reading resource so that students can quickly click on a word they don't know and see its definition, link them over to dictionary.com and, and what that word means. You know, in the same way that I would, if I'm reading something that's above my grade level <laughs> and it's a, it's a complex text, you know, I'm going to be using all of my resources to figure out what that text means. And I'm going to be looking at meanings of words I don't know or using those context skills and, and building out that, you know, those reading comprehension strategies that I would use. And we need to make those available for the students to use as well. 
chunking the text. You know, we are working now on these live documents. You don't, you're not restricted to the size of a piece of paper. So we should be pre-chunking the text for our students so that they know, oh, I should pause here and make sure I understood those last three paragraphs I read before I moved on. So inserting a little formative check for understanding. And if they can't answer that question, tell them to go back and reread or give them a hint, hint, check, like reread that paragraph two specifically, right? So we're getting them to learn to stop, check their comprehension before they proceed. And if not, go back and reread with purpose. Um, thinking about what I mentioned earlier about modeling. Again, we're on devices now. So we don't have to just model once in front of the class. I remember going to a training with, um, oh, his name is going to escape me now. It'll come back to me later. He's very, very popular when it comes to teaching reading comprehension strategies. And uh, it starts with a K, you may know it. And uh, we're no longer restricted to modeling one time and then saying, now you do it to the students, right? Why aren't we recording ourselves modeling these behaviors and these practices? So I read the first chunk. I record myself reading it. I make my thinking transparent to my students. I show them what it means to pause when I don't understand something, take a look at the context clues and move on. I show them what it means to pause and say, did I understand what I just read? Am I ready to move on? And then they can watch it again and again, or they can go back and uh, review that multiple times. So all of these things are good teaching skills that we did offline. And the technology enables, them, enables us to do them more effectively, more efficiently, more consistently um, in the classroom. That's excellent. You know, it's, it's interesting because I've had a lot of experience working in, in schools with uh, ELL po large ELL populations and from different places. And, you know, one of the things that I was just wondering if you, uh, you know, one of the things you, have, you run into sometimes is that the, the adults don't realize that the kids are able to talk with them. <laughs> so the conversational language works really well, mm -hmm. but they kind of fool them because the, uh, their academic language not so well. And uh, yes, I was wondering if that's been something that you've had experience with. I know that's kind of probably a strange, uh, goofy question. Yeah, probably... no, no, it's no, it makes perfect sense. It's the old uh, fixing counts, right? It's this idea that you have uh, the uh, you're lacking the academic language. And that was very common with my students, especially because they uh, many of them came from cultures where English was maybe embedded culturally in the language piece, but not in the written communication or the, you know, it's it's conversational. And, and it, most cultures around the world are picking up on some version of American English and just through like the social aspects of things, right? And the way that we permeate uh, with our media and, you know, these you know, Hollywoods everywhere, right? Um, but definitely, definitely different. It's a different type of comprehension. It's a different type of use of language. And that kind of is what I was getting at earlier with the example of supporting students across their school day with what we're doing in that EL specific time. And so understanding what do my students need to know in order to be higher order, to do their higher order thinking in their social science classes and in their science classes, how can I take those needs across their school day and incorporate them into my teaching practices in my classroom and, and build out that context and experience learning language, all language, whether it's the highly academic or the conversational, it's about exposure and experience and practice and repetition. Um, you know, like one, one typical teaching strategy with like coming across a new vocabulary word that I had to learn as a uh, ESL teacher, when I first started, I would pause, look at the context, think about the word. What does this word mean? How does it relate to the other words in the sentence? Do we understand what this word means? Let's reread the sentence again, replacing this word with a new, and, and you stop and spend five minutes talking about one word. And the students have lost that continuity of thought for the whole passage. And I had to step back and say, as a native speaker of English, when I come across a new word, I don't do that. You know, that's, that's, nice. that's not authentic. So teaching students how to determine if understanding that little word is interrupting their ability to read and comprehend the passage 
or if maybe the next time they see it, it's going to build a greater context. And the third time they see it, it's going to really build out a context. And then the fourth time they see it, okay, I understand what this word means now. Um, so really determining how you and your classroom can give your students that exposure, that repetition, that experience again and again, in a way that uh, is so cool because then my students would come back to me and say, oh my gosh, miss, we were talking in science class and we were talking about, you know, such and such. Can you believe that? I'm like, no kidding. But it was on purpose. You know, I, of course, I'm trying to expose you the first time in my class in this really supported environment. And then when you go experience it in science class, you're not overwhelmed and scared and, you know, like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know what's going on. This is too hard for me. Right. So this like release of responsibility and this introduction and this repetition and circling around and around. I, I love it. Cause that's, you know, it, there's so many, nuances of all that uh, mixed in there and it's it's cool to hear uh, and i can i could see where you know technology software would really help um kind of catch some of the places where they're stumbling where you know it uh, because they're going to be participating in it and not being able to kind of cover up <laughs> what they <Yeah>. don't know <laughs> yeah it makes it transparent too and that's what we were so with the uh classroom management software that we were mentioning earlier too that's something that i would often use it for allows you to see what your students are doing on their computers and see where they're getting stuck and see where they're struggling. And so the ability for the teacher to kind of step back, give the students some type of task or assessment and to like see their thinking on that page in a way that is hard when students are on devices. It's hard to see what they're doing, not just their behavior, but see what they're learning and see how they're interacting with the content that you're giving them. Uh, so yeah, it's super useful. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. One of the things I want to do, uh, let's shift here because you also have experience yeah. <laughs> in trauma informed practices. And, you know, what, what exactly does this mean and what's it look like in the classroom? Yeah, I think um, my experience with trauma informed is more limited than my experience with ESL. I, I worked at a trauma informed school for one year, but kind of echoing back to what I said earlier, I think a lot of teachers, if they were to hear about trauma informed practices, they would say, oh, yeah, I'm already doing that in some way, shape, or form because. Teachers know, teachers who have been in the classroom and who care about their students and who love their students in their community, they know when a student comes in to school and is not ready to learn, right? That you can see it. You can see it on their face. You can see it in their body language. You can see it in their demeanor. And as a caring educator, we'd probably stop and check in with that student. Um, and then the more you start checking in with those individual students, the more you realize I should be checking in with all my students. Maybe the student has a smile on their face, but they're not really ready to learn either. Um, so working in a trauma-informed school, it was really about building out a, a shared vocabulary around uh, mental health of the individual and building out a scientific understanding that different parts of your brain influence the way that you process learning and emotions and that these parts of your brain can be affected, impacted and, and negatively impacted by trauma. So it's a baseline understanding from teachers that you can't tell if a student is dealing with trauma because you can't see their brain from the outside, but you can incorporate practices into your classroom that give you that important feedback as to where your students are at, where they're at mentally and emotionally. Are they coming into the classroom ready to learn? Do you need to connect with that student on an individual basis or connect them to resources? Um, and I mean, even my experience at the trauma-informed school is my most recent uh, teaching position. But five years before that, I was working with a teacher who started doing daily surveys to their students via a quick Google form. And she was doing it to rate, uh, the way she phrased it was like rating their happiness. You know, how are they feeling before the lesson? How are they feeling after? She wanted to understand the emotional journey of her students while they existed in her classroom and in that space. But the root of that is the same, right? You know, we wanna know, are you happy? Because if you're happy, then you're able to engage. And I guess happy is kind of a, a dumbed down word for it. You know, it's, it's a little bit subjective, but the idea, the intention there was, was good and true. Um, so thinking about establishing this shared vocabulary around mental and emotional health, how it relates to the science of our brains, sharing that understanding with our students, empowering them to have a language that they need to advocate for where they're at throughout their day at the start, in the middle, or at the end of their day, and then incorporating those conversations and those, uh, that safety into our classrooms. If the teachers value 
recognize and understand this in their students, then the students feel safe communicating their needs back to their teachers. Very cool. You know, it's interesting because I think that, uh, you know, there's so much stuff going on. And, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, we have unique challenges that we face every day and, and before we talk about, because we're going to talk about some stuff that you're seeing as a result of the pandemic, but before we go there, can we talk just a little bit about some of the, you know, some of the kind of everyday challenges that, uh, you know, that our the teachers are facing with a social emotional type uh, um, background? And uh, can we just talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty broad question. I think it really yes. goes back to the very beginning of our conversation, right? When you said, what would you recommend to a first-year teacher? And I said, well, if it was me, and then just generally. And I said, building relationships, getting to know your students, getting to know the community, getting to know what that community is, you know, values and what they're about. In my first year uh, teaching, I was teaching with a charter management organization in Southern California. And... We were uh, empowered to go out and knock on doors and introduce ourselves to the community we were serving. You know, we were all teachers and not all of us lived in this neighborhood, but we wanted the neighborhood to know who we were. We wanted the families to know who we were. So it was about going out and seeing the street that my kids would walk down to get home, seeing the houses they would go to, understanding what their lives look like beyond the walls of the school. Now, the flip side of that is, can I fix that whole community? Can I go out and, you know, I don't know, repaint the graffiti or rebuild the buildings or, or make that perfect? No, that that's not my job. I can only truly affect and impact what's happening in the walls of my classroom or in the walls of my school but I can do it in a way that's informed and in a way that's meaningful because I know what's happening outside of the walls of my school. And I think that that's a really important piece that really, I think a lot of teachers were, uh, their eyes were open to it uh, from the conversations I've had both with my customers across the country and then my own family, as I mentioned to our educators, you know, having those Zoom meetings and seeing into their homes a little bit or, or understanding engagement and what engagement looks like on devices and students who maybe wanted to engage but truly didn't have the type of life at home that would allow them to. Uh, it, it has impacted educators that I speak to in a way that they say, wow, um, I didn't know. Now I do. And I'm going to teach differently because of it. And I'm going to make sure that my classroom is a place where my students can feel very successful, welcomed, uh, embraced, you know, cared about, because I didn't realize that maybe they're not getting that after they leave. And so I think that we have a lot of opportunity here to allow that little glimpse that we saw into some of our students beyond the four walls of our school and, and impact what we do during that school day because of it. Uh, that's that's excellent. You know, it's uh, one of the things that, uh, and, and I think this is where, you know, uh, being support mechanisms for teachers and trying to uh, to deal with and administrators and trying to mm-hmm. address and deal with because you know you hit something <laughs> you you targeted something because sometimes you know going back to something you said earlier about uh, telling yourself don't stress out over over so much because <sighs> there are some things you have no control over <laughs> and yeah. you, you may not be able to change the community, but you can help the child. And, right. and you know, and so that's, it's interesting uh, what you're talking about there. Cause if you get too focused on uh, all the stuff you can't do, mm-hmm. then we start talking about, uh, you know, um, how long you're going to be able to stay in the, <laughs> yeah, in we, we hosted a, um, a webinar in the fall of last year and we invited some <clears throat> teachers with distance learning teaching experience to just give some advice to our customers and our educational communities. Like, Hey, this is how we do it. And it's effective. And these are the things that we do that work for kids in the distance learning environment. You know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. Like let's share best practices across these boundaries, you know, uh, from our, our online teachers into these, you know, teachers who are becoming online teachers very rapidly due to COVID. And one of the speakers in that presentation mentioned this, um, which I've seen it used in lots of different contexts, but 
uh, the spheres of influence, right? And so you have direct ability to influence and impact yourself and maybe those who you're interacting with on a daily basis. So as a teacher, you think of this as myself, my, my attitudes, my uh, ambition, my positivity, like this is something I have control over. And maybe I can influence and, and have a positive impact on the students in my classroom. But maybe the school at large isn't really something you can directly you know, control or influence. And then the community beyond that, you certainly can't. But you have to decide when looking at a situation, you know, where does this fall in those, those spheres? And the things that are way out on that outer, outer edge, especially as a teacher, sometimes you have to kind of let those go because you know that the stuff that's directly, uh, you're directly able to influence is going to eventually enact change at that level. But you have to really focus on what's immediately surrounding you and find your successes and find your, overcome your trials and tribulations at that small, small level in the hopes that, that it will continue to grow and influence at that larger level. And I think that is why a lot of teachers feel burned out right now. And I think that's why a lot of teachers feel tired and frustrated. And I, I've noticed a lot of uh, teachers moving away from the profession. And I think it's because they feel this weight on their shoulder of all of those fears. <laughs> and we have to empower them to kind of let go of some of that stuff on the outside and, and just really work so, so hard to impact those students who are in front of you every day. That's your sphere of influence. That's where you can make a difference. I think that's just so impactful what you just said, because that is a big part of what you know, it's driving them nuts because they're trying to change. They're trying to do everything and everything yeah. you can't do that. And so you have to find that thing. And, and, and part of what's, you know, what's they got to be careful of is the, the idea that they might have the, uh, kind of the whole, um, reason, uh, you know, part of the the magic of why they became a teacher in the first place, mm -hmm. they might feel like it's been driven out of them, I guess is my point, mm -hmm. because between the pandemic and all kinds of other stuff and stuff that they have no control over yet, they have their classroom and they can, they kind of have to figure out how to have control over it in this, you know, this new virtual or whatever the world is that they're, you know, as they're going back to face to face and so forth. And I think that that's, that's something that is, is we, we may never really thought about it much in the past. It's kind of in our face now. That's why you, yeah, you kind of see so it true. because I think teachers forever have been trying to, to do, you know, more than probably what was in their, their sphere. It's just that it's become more just really there. Um, mm -hmm. thanks to, uh, you know, you know, am I going to have five kids this week or am I going to, you know, today, or am I going to have uh, 25 or I'm going to have, you know, or, or when's it going to be that we're all going to be shut down and sent back home again or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, but again, you have to just keep telling yourself, I can't control that. I can't control if we shut down. I can't control if we go back to distance learning, but I can create some consistency for my 35 students. I can create some consistency for my students who see me for that one hour a day if you're at secondary or however you're, you know, that's where you can. And that's where you can also feel successful. And so sometimes you have to kind of bring it close, bring it closer to you in your community in these difficult times, especially. Yeah, I, lo I love that because that's that's just having that realization, I think, sometimes because because the, the magic of teaching is like you talked about at the beginning. You're working with the kids and the light bulbs going off or it's not. And you're trying to figure out how to make it go off and and then yeah. finding those little things that uh, that make the classroom magical for you, whether it's, uh, you know, that you 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 spend the act, you know, some time and doing oh. this activity or that activity that makes them you know, kind of get into it. And just like you were talking about earlier, they come back to you and they say, Hey, yesterday in my biology class, they were talking about this. And I was able to say that because of mm -hmm. what you did the other day. And so, you know, it's, it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the best part of teaching. That's, that's the parts I miss for sure. Those student interactions that you're like, Oh, wow, I, I did something that made your life better and happier and made you happy to be at school and made you feel part of this school community like oh man that's that's such a win you know as an yes. educator so very much so very much so yeah, yeah. you know let's kind of shift into the pandemic because you know that's where we are <laughs> and yeah. you know new issues have come up with which one of them is called learning loss you know it's we, we have yeah. all these new uh words out there now that are part of our uh, part of a vocabulary and even though learning loss has been around before not in this type of 
fashion where it was, you know, we had to shut down everything and people went away and then we had to try and figure out where they went <laughs> and, <laughs> and I tried to get them come to the computer and all that sort of stuff. And, and then back into the buildings, you know, how can using technologies help, help the teachers, you know, this, um, kind of address this learning loss that's been a, kind of made to happen. Uh, I know as we've been talking about this, both as an organization and how we can support learning loss, as well as, you know, talking at my, my uh, visits home, it's always all this teacher talk around the table, right? Like we're all so invested in the community of ed- being educators and being involved in education. And um, I always like joke my uh, sister-in-law who's a nurse would always say, oh, here they go again. The teachers are talking, you know, <laughs> nice, <laughs> it's just, nice. but it's true. And, and when we talk about this, I often, I often think about the opposite. So um, something I used to always get into, uh, not, not even debates, but I always kind of disagreed with people about was how we treat our honor students. So um, a few years ago, the districts I taught in kind of went away with having a separate honors class and they in, integrated our, you know, quote unquote honor students into all the periods of the day. So I'd have this multiple, I'd have maybe five honor students, 10 students not honors, you know, five students with special education needs, maybe three to 10 ESL students, depending, et cetera. So you have this really mixed roster class. And it was always this debate of like, what do we do for these honor students? And some people in the English department would say, oh, I have them answer three short answer questions on the test instead of two, or I make them write five paragraphs instead of three. And I'm like, so you just make them do more work. <laughs> like, is nice. that, that's not fair. <laughs> like, no. That's not honors, you know? And so what I would do instead would be thinking about the cognitive challenge of the task that I'm asking of them, right? And, and give the tasks of my assignments or my assessments different cognitive challenge, right? And so maybe you're asking students to recall what they learned and summarize and reading comprehension, or you're asking them to like apply that learning across multiple texts. And so they're still going to be producing the same amount of, you know, like that production part of the writing task, but they're going to be doing it at different cognitive levels. And I think that we can consider that that same strategy when we think about how to adapt for this, you know, learning loss that we're going to be experiencing. And in my mind, this learning loss is really just going to be about becoming an expert at differentiation. And differentiation, again, doesn't mean necessarily giving different tasks to different students. It can, absolutely. Um, That's a lot of work for the teacher coming up with five different tasks for each assignment. Uh, But it's not that hard to just start embedding choice into every aspect of your lesson. And that was kind of what I was touching on earlier too, is this idea of giving students choice in how they absorb the material. You know, are you having them only read? Are you just giving them these long texts to read? Is that going to be an effective learning experience for all students? No. So you give them chunks of text and a video to watch and formative questions built in and something to do that's more interactive for those kinesthetic learners who need to immediately do something with what they just read. So giving them that choice throughout the lesson and how they're absorbing the material, giving them that choice in how they're demonstrating their learning and understanding of that material, giving them choice in how they work with partners or within a group in terms of the different roles and responsibilities they have for that learning process. And I think it's really going to come down to creating lessons that are guided by the students, not the teacher. That's how you prevent teacher burnout right there, by the way. The teacher, if the teacher's working harder than the students, there's a problem. (laughs) You should be the architect of the learning experience and the students should be doing the work of the learning, right? That's major right there. (laughs) Yeah. So you're creating the learning experience. You're creating the framework because you as the expert, the pedagogical expert in the room know that there are certain routines like this release of responsibility model, students practice release responsibility for them to practice on their own, et cetera. That doesn't take preparation. That's just how you're executing throughout, right? So starting to think, you take your standard lesson that maybe you used two years ago in the classroom and you say, where can I embed choice in this? Where can I embed cognitive variations in what I'm asking of the student's learning experience? And whether you're transparent with the students about those cognitive differences or not is up to you and how you want to articulate that to the students. And if you want to say, hey, 
everyone has to answer A. Or if you're really feeling up to the challenge today, take path B. You know, you decide. You're the you own this learning experience. So which path are you on today? You know, and uh, I think it'll depend on the age group of the students, the content area, etc. But betting that choice, right? And helping students learn to start to monitor their own choices. Man, I chose path C and I'm I'm really struggling here. Maybe I'm going to go back and try path B and see if that feels like a more comfortable experience for me. Um, so yeah, just thinking about choice and how we can incorporate not more and less work. <laughs> not more and less work for you as a teacher, not more and less work for the student because making the student write five paragraphs instead of three paragraphs is not an honors level coursework. <laughs> but thinking about you know, coming back all the way, you know, in our teaching credentials, you know, your zone of proximal development or, you know, you're, you're that, that where can we get the students where they're challenged, but not overwhelmed, you know, it's really going to come down to being thoughtful in that throughout the lesson cycle. That's awesome. And just to know, there are a whole bunch of kids out there going, you tell them that's it. Exactly. I don't yeah. need more, more questions. Yeah. I, I like that. <laughs> so yeah. it, that's good stuff. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we've, we've had to, that's happened as a result of the pandemic is that some teachers become more, uh, more familiar with technology. And, yeah, uh, you know, it's, beautiful. and then some figured out that, uh, where they thought they were comfortable, they, uh, didn't know as much as they thought they did. And, but now, I mean, it's funny, before, before the pandemic, I was doing my podcast interviews and, and, uh, there were a lot of people that were in my age bracket that were really kind of embarrassing when it came to trying to figure out how to do a zoom with me. All right. <laughs> not now. All right. There's, yeah. there's a matter of fact, zoom has become whether, and by the way, this is not product placement. They do not sponsor my show. Yeah. So, uh, although not that I'm not open like to it, zoom. To. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'd be very open to it. Yes. That's funny. <laughs> and, but it's, you know, it's funny we, we, for so many reasons because now it's almost become, People talk about Zooming. People talk about Zoom. They talk about, and and they actually were using WebEx, you know, <laughs> or something mm -hmm. like that. And I, and I think it's, it's like Kleenex or something, right? It's <laughs> yes, exactly. That's like, like Kleenex. <laughs> is, well, it's actually something else, you know. It's, anyway, it's, I just think it's interesting how, uh, how different that's become. What, how do you think this is probably impact uh, the teacher for using like Impero software to, to help work and reach kids and so forth? Yeah, I think it's, I think we're going to see, which we see always in education. And I, I compare it to like the pendulum swing, right? So I think like we had teachers who were using no technology and then they went, and now they're using like all technology. And so I, I think this is going to be a really cool year to like, like stop that pendulum from swinging back and forth, back and forth, and just kind of like allow it to settle. Um, I think that there's still a fear or misconception among teachers and that uh, the technology students being on devices is somehow replacing them or um, preventing them from owning that creative part of teaching that's so fun and that lesson execution part that's so fun and the creating of the curriculum and the content that's so fun. And I think all that can still exist side by side, all of the tools that you know we have at our fingertips now and at our disposal. So I think as, as teachers are returning to the classroom, I don't anticipate, and I hope that they don't put those those computers back on the shelf and say, well, now we're back in person. We don't need these anymore. Okay. But, but there's a time and place. And I think teachers learned about Zoom fatigue. I think we learned about device fatigue. I think we learned about students feeling burned out by being on devices. And that there's nothing wrong with doing an activity that involves making a poster and there's nothing wrong with talking to the students who are next to you and using these other creative parts of our brain and using our, our dialogue to discuss with the person and, you know, understanding the right way to incorporate technology so that it's transforming and improving the lesson. If you're not improving your lesson by using the technology, then reevaluate the lesson and think about what am I missing here? How could I be improving this with technology? or don't use the technology, right? It, it shouldn't stand between you and the learner. It should enhance that student's learning experience. It shouldn't come in between you. And that's something that, you know, we do talk about with classroom management software. Um, sometimes there's a fear that, oh my God, it's another thing I have to use. It's another tool. There's so many programs, there's so many of this and that. 
but this, it should really just be like embedded into your technology routine. So it should be pretty hands-off and it should aid you and support you when you have those students who are on devices and learning. Um, Yeah. And there's a lot of other really cool tools out there too, that, you know, encourage you to do offline activities and then maybe find a way to document them and digitize them into the online world. So kind of going hybrid, I guess, in a different way, right? So we figure out a way that the learning that's happening in the classroom is communal because that's the benefit of all being in the same room together. But then maybe there's some element of digitization or technology integration that should ultimately be making the learning experience more effective for the students, Um, whether that means helping them to be organized, helping them to have a routine for, you know, taking that learning and making it something concrete, uh, whether that means building that portfolio for them to go back and look at later. Uh, I think (laughs) organization on devices is a whole other topic that you could probably do an entire podcast about, (laughs) but it's different than organizing a binder. And and so I think teaching students what digital organization looks like and the value of that too is all of these things are opportunities when we're back in this in-person classroom. Right now, yeah, I'm, I've got these different uh, colleagues in mind who have like 300,000 little folders on on their desktop. And it's, desktop. Like, it's like, oh, my gosh. I, and obviously, 300,000 is a little bit of an exaggeration, but it sure looks like a lot. You know, yeah. And, uh, it, or the, 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 the notorious folder that uh, I may or may not have on my desktop that's just called desktop. And I nice. just dump everything in there before yes. the Zoom meeting so no one sees my crazy desktop. So I just highly throw it all in there. <laughs> yes, exactly. That would be another example. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's, uh, I love that. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting how much uh, this, this kind of world has. I, I, you know, one of the things I think's happened is that it's really it's kind of helped us see the different roles that it play that technology can play as a support mechanism. And, yeah. and I think that's, uh, um, and just like in, uh, going back to what I said earlier too, about the students driving the learning, right. And with technology, like it can be scary, but I mean, defer to the experts in the room. right? right, <laughs> they, right, right. Uh, so my, uh, uh, my mom's going to, me for telling this story, but she, she did. I just talked to her a couple days ago. She's uh, retired, but she goes back and substitutes. She's in a long-term supposition right now and she's with kindergartners and she, I think she's in the room like helping, but anyways, she had to take them over to this like computer lab kind of experience for them to go work with a, te- a different teacher. And there was all these tablets out on the tables when they came into this room, like a library or something. So they come in and my mom's like, don't touch them. Don't. And the kids immediately, they're, they're touching them. They're signing in, they're opening things. And my mom's like, no, no, you don't know. You're all, uh, uh, you know, and the, and the, the teacher in the room who was the computer teacher was like, ah, let them, you know, like they're not going to break it, you know, like <laughs> let them poke around, let them play with it. Like that's the best way for them to learn. And it's just funny because, you know, I think that people who are less comfortable with technology are very afraid of breaking something, clicking the wrong thing, getting lost in this, you know, wormhole of links and not being able to find your way back to that first tab you had open. Right. Uh, but you know, our, the next generation's not, they're not afraid of that. And we have to let them click and let them drive sometimes. So again, you're the architect of the learning experience. You want your students to learn how to do research. You shouldn't be blocking the entire internet. You need to learn them how to do safe, practical digital research and then let them drive, like let them do it. You know, and I think, again, also going back to what we talked about earlier, that's where the true learning takes place. Those moments that you didn't plan for and expect and that are truly authentic. But some teachers are going to disagree with me on that. They're going to be like, no way, Jose. (laughs) No one's driving this but me. But uh, there's there's moments and times for for all of it. So most definitely, most definitely. And I, I, I just it. I just think it's interesting how uh, in just a short period of time, one of the most positives that could ever come out of this is how familiar people are with realizing that the technology can be a friend and that they can find different ways of driving the instruction in there. And that uh, mm-hmm. it also has helped them realize there are tools that they can use to help differentiate and to learn how to address the different needs of the kids, which is so cool. You know, uh, 
we're getting close to finishing up, Caitlin. And uh, before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? Yeah, I think um, we've got some great resources on imperosoftware.com. Uh, and from there, you can find our different social media links. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Um, I am, uh, as was mentioned, a senior account manager with the organization. So um, if you decided you wanted to give any of our products a try, we would probably cross paths. And I would be there to make sure that you're successful uh, in implementing what we offer and making sure it matches with what you're trying to accomplish in your classroom at large, right? Because all technology should be helping you to be the most effective teacher that you can be. And if it's not, then find the tools that do work for you for that. Cause that's what they should all be doing. Very cool. Very cool. The, uh, you know, I got two last questions, but before I go there, I did have to say this, it's kind of cool what you're talking about uh, <laughs> with having uh, um, your family being educators. And so then they get together. Cause like, I'm the outsider in my group, you know, it's, <laughs> so they, there's certain topics they learn to stay away from <laughs> that, yeah. that smack anything or, I, or Steve might go on a run about stuff that they're all going, yeah, 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 whatever. Okay. <laughs> oh, that was yeah. funny. So if you have a group of educators in the family, that might be an interesting Thanksgiving dinner or something. I don't know. Yeah. And I think, you know, even when we disagree, there's still, we do still agree because I think if you're a good teacher, you, everything you're doing is because you want your students to be successful. And so it's interesting and helpful to hear other people who, you know, have a different approach than you because you all want the same end result, right? And so, yeah, I've learned a lot from my siblings, especially my sister who teaches special education because she runs a fully inclusive practice at her district and uh, had to really push for that and say, we don't need our students separated from the general population. They should be in the classroom and learning all the time. And that's something that I really took to heart in my own practice. And, you know, when it came to integrating special, my students with special needs into my classroom, it was like, yeah, of course, always. But then she taught me how to do it effectively and, and do it in a way that was meaningful for all the students involved. So, yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. So here's my first of my last questions. and goes like this. Uh, how do you keep going when there may be so much going on that you may want to quit? Hmm. How do you keep going as a teacher, as an educator? Just just you personally, if let's say you okay. got all kinds of projects going on, you got this going yeah. on with the family, you got that going on, and you're like, I, I, I'm done. Yeah, I usually have like a running to-do list and I'm big on lists and I get a lot of satisfaction on checking something off my list. And so for me, that's like a really big uh, way to mentally cope with like feeling overwhelmed or burned out or like I'm just done I want to throw my hands up in the air and be finished it's like I just kind of pull on my to-do list it's like okay what's something I can get done right now and I can just put that big check mark or put that cross that line through it and uh, that brings you like a lot of uh, satisfaction and feeling of accomplishment right and um, now that I'm saying that too it's like so true I think that would be true for teachers and students too right we are always talking about students coming into the classroom and giving them an opportunity to feel successful. And so we have these students who are coming into our classrooms feeling overwhelmed, feeling scared, feeling a lot of the, the fallout of last year, like give them an opportunity to feel like they are checking something off their list right away, you know, metaphorically, give them that chance to feel successful in that moment so that they don't want to quit. <laughs> right. I, I mean, it all applies. It's all that human psychology, right? I like that. I like that. You're, you're right. <laughs> yeah, last, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? I, I think I've had a lot of teachers have really positive influences in my life. I mean, my mom was a teacher, so she obviously had a very big influence. Um, I, a teacher who like, immediately pops into my head was a, a high school English teacher I had. And um he was the first like, adult in my life who ever like, articulated to me what my future could look like, you know, and I, I was always a pretty good student and I was always a student who planned to go to college, but I would plan to go to college because that's what you do after high school. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't plan to go to college because I had some career aspirations or some vision of my future. And I remember him having like really serious conversations with me as a junior in high school about what, not what college are you going to go to and what are you going to major in, but like, what's your life going to look like? And encouraged me both to feel confident that I could be successful no matter what I chose, but that I had like certain, you know, ways that I approached 
different topics in his class and the way I looked at things critically. And he was like, I could see you going this way. And, and that's not the path I ended up following. Uh, he envisioned me having a life as a, uh, an editor of a magazine and, and, uh, you know, traveling the world and living this, you know, and I guess I do a little bit of that now with my current position, but, uh, it was just really cool to have an adult say, I could see you doing some cool stuff in your life in the future. I could see you doing this and this and this and things I hadn't dreamed for myself. And so it allowed me to dream for myself in a way that I hadn't before that. So it's, it's neat to talk to kids about what you could see them doing in their future. Really is. That's, that's yeah. so cool. That someone, yeah, that, that person talking with you like that. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Hey, Caitlin, thanks so much for talking with me today. It, it was awesome learning how we can address the social, emotional and academic needs of uh, special education and ELL students and, uh, and all our students. You know, it was also great talking with you about how technology can su support all the kids that we teach. Wish you the best in all you do. Thank you so much. It was really fun. Teaching, learning, leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio. Your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends. <laughs>